up everybody welcome back to the rewired soul podcast it's your host chris and today we have another amazing author it is none other than ruth ben giat all right so before we introduce her and the conversation and everything like that if you're new here if you're new if this is your first time listening or if you've been listening for a while but you haven't yet Make sure you are following the podcast or you're subscribed on whatever platform you're listening on. We are almost at a hundred episodes and we just kicked this thing off in May. But as you know, I read hundreds of books a year. I love chatting with authors. So make sure you're following and you're subscribed so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And another great way to make sure that you're in the loop is to follow me on social media at the rewired soul on Instagram and Twitter. I'm always posting the new episodes. And as some of you know, I've been writing a lot more lately. I just had a piece published in Newsweek yesterday. Um, so yeah, make sure you're following me on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul. But yeah, today's guest is Ruth Ben-Giat. All right. So some of you may know her. Uh, she is regularly on, uh, you know, different news shows and everything talking about, you know, politics, because she is a historian and she studies fascism, propaganda, and so many things. And she wrote this incredible book called Strong Men. It was recommended to me multiple times. And I'm not a huge like history guy. Uh, I, I read a lot on, you know, like psychology and human behavior and all sorts of stuff. But I was like, you know, I, I kind of want to understand, you know, fascism and what's going on and everything. So I picked up Ruth's book and it was phenomenal. So I was able to chat with her about this. And, you know, the book has actually just been released in paperback. So make sure you head down to the description and check it out. Um, but yeah, we, we have a great conversation. Uh, I asked her about, you know, what brought her to, you know, become interested in this topic and why it's so important that we learn things, you know, from her book about the traits of different leaders and how they rise to power and manipulate people through propaganda and different strategies. And, you know, in Ruth's opinion, which you'll hear about in this conversation, you know, it's important that we analyze the past so we can prevent similar things from happening in the future. And, you know, there are some telltale signs and everything, but one of the most important things that I wanted to ask Ruth in this conversation is, like, do you think the word fascist gets thrown around a little too much? Because some people seem to use it all willy nilly. So it was great to hear her answer about that. But yeah, we talk about, you know, uh, Donald Trump, we talk about people in the past, like, you know, Mussolini and things like that. And it's all broken down fantastically in her book, not only how fascists rise to power, but how we remove them from power as well. So I absolutely love this conversation and Ruth is a very busy woman. So I'm super glad she was able to take the time to come on. So yeah, make sure you head down to the description, make sure you are following Ruth over on Twitter and grab a copy of her book because like I said, just this week, the paperback edition of Strongman came out. So make sure you check it out, all right? So without further ado, here is my conversation with Ruth ben Giat about her book, Strongman. Hello, Ruth, how are you doing today? I'm fine. Glad to be here. I am so excited that you are here. Uh, yeah, I was recommended your book, Strong Men, and I loved it. So for those who have 
yet to read it. Can you tell the folks a little bit about a little bit about your background and what inspired you to write this book? Sure. So I'm a historian of fascism and uh, I had written books on Italian fascism and on propaganda, on film propaganda. And I had started to write uh, for CNN on historical subjects and uh, things like gun violence. Mm. And then uh, Donald Trump came on the scene with his rallies, loyalty oaths, his, you know, lying to the public. And this kind of shocked me into action. Mm-hmm. And so I put aside an academic book I was going to write, and I decided it was important to write a book that could put what we were going through in historical perspective. So mm. that's how the idea of strongmen is born. And it's kind of a hundred years of authoritarianism. And the core of it is this playbook, uh, the tools that they all use of propaganda, corruption, violence and machismo and how they interrelate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and I loved it. And I've noticed that too. So for example, so I'm 36 years old and I didn't even get interested in politics until 2016. Like when that went down, I was like, okay, what's happening. I need to figure this out, you know? So, uh, yeah, but I, I loved your book too. And, and usually like history isn't really my thing. Right. So one question I, I have for you, um, is like, I'm the father of a 12 year old son. I got a little while until he's like high school, college, you know what I mean? He just started middle school, but when it comes to history, right? Like what, where does your passion for like learning about history and teaching people about history, where does that come from? Why is it such an important subject? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I really think that the past, um, as in this, the point of this book was to, to, it's definitely a history, but it goes up to the present. And mm-hmm. so I was writing the history of the present. And I also found that uh, knowing history and knowing the patterns of history, because Strongman is a book about patterns, like what circumstances recur over and over again mm-hmm. that, that lead people at certain times to support these kinds of guys, to mm-hmm. support these liars, these sexual assaulters, all of this. And I find that if you know the patterns, it allows you to actually forecast the future. So uh, starting in 2016, I I started publishing about Trump actually in 2015, but I started kind of uh, predicting certain things. Like I published a piece in January 2016 saying that Trump, if he got the nomination, he would have a full-on personality cult Mm. like Putin's. And nobody wanted to publish this piece because (laughs) it seemed too far-fetched, too strange. But of course, it, it turned out to be to be true. And so the reason I was able to do that so early is because of my knowledge of history mm-hmm. and that I saw Donald Trump doing the same things that all these other guys I knew about had done. Yeah. So for, for those who have yet to read the book, can you kind of define like what strong men are, who they are, what their, their characteristics are. Cause in the book, you, you, like you discuss like Mussolini and Trump and, you know, Putin and all sorts of people. So can you kind of define what a strong man is? Yeah. So there, I see them as a subset of authoritarian leaders. And authoritarians are, you know, people who can destroy democracy, mm-hmm. uh, like old, old fashioned. So it, the book is about how authoritarianism changes. So you had you know, a hundred years ago or, or you, or 20th century, you had all these one party dictatorships, mm. right? Also communist ones. And 
nowadays, uh, and, and then you had military coups, which still go on as in Myanmar, but they're less common. So today, authoritarianism works differently and people come to office via elections and then they manipulate elections to stay there. So strongmen are a, a kind of ruler who's a subset of these guys. Mm. And they are, uh, the, the re what makes a strongman for me is that they also use machismo and mask, so kind of toxic masculinity yeah. as one of their tools of rule. So they boast about their virility or they boast about committing uh, violent acts. And this, this is one of the criteria for a strongman. Or they use their bodies in ways like as, as display. So mm -hmm. Mussolini and Putin strip their shirts off all the time. Yeah, that's that's a, ma a macho kind of thing. So those those are the strong men. Mm. So something I was I was curious about just because I'm always I'm like I'm more of like a psychology nerd and I'm like really into human behavior and stuff. And I I'm curious your thoughts on this. So do you think do you think the these characteristics of strong men like you break it down into sections and all this other stuff and you talk about how it helps kind of see into the future. Do you think that uh, these characteristics are just coincidental or do you think they learn from previous people or is it a combination? Yeah, that's one of the most common questions I get, uh, for example, with Trump. Did he, you know, does he learn from others? Because mm -hmm. he's, he's interesting because he doesn't read. He is the only uh, leader. So I have Mussolini and Hitler and, you know, all through the century. But he really doesn't read. Um, they have a similar personality. Most mm. each, each one has his own quirks, but in general, they are, and this is what helps them to get to power and be successful. They are amoral, so they have no moral code, mm. and this allows them to do things that other people wouldn't do. They also, I, I was surprised to learn, a lot of them have a background in mass communications. Mm. So they are either they were journalists or they were in entertainment, like Trump and Berlusconi. Uh, or they just have a very good sense of presenting themselves and lying. They're performers. Mm. Um, and even somebody like Pinochet, who in Chile, who was like a, you know, seemed like a straight laced kind of military type. He had a very good sense of how he was going to differentiate himself from the other uh, members of the junta and be the star right away. Mm. So that, so they're amoral, they're performers. They also are paranoid. They, yeah. so they construct, all of them construct these kind of cocoons around themselves uh, and, and of flatterers and sycophants and family members. All of them have sons-in-law, mm. not Hitler because he wasn't, didn't have family, but um, almost all of them, including Erdogan, Orban today, they have their sons-in-law around them. And this is because they, they, they have these extreme loyalty tests all the time. And yeah. they need people to conspire and keep their secrets because they're all very corrupt. So that was interesting to find that the Trump White House uh, corresponded, even though it, it was in a, in a democracy, fully functioning democracy, the way that he structured his government mm -hmm. uh, really matched these other people. And that's because their personalities are similar. Mm. Yeah. And, and I, this, this Ruth, might be a dumb question, but I need you to help me out. So like I said, I just got into politics and stuff until 2016. And like, uh, well, we were talking about Amanda Montella a minute ago, and I've been really curious about language, right? So the word 
fascism. And this is like your thing, right? I feel like I see it everywhere. And at a certain point, I'm like, are we just calling everything fascist that we don't like? So can you kind of define what what fascism is? I even read an entire book. What was it like on fascism or, or something? It was a part of the book, but I was like, still walked away just somewhat confused. So can you break that down? Because maybe I'm not the only one. Yeah, you're not the only one. And uh, it's not a stupid question. And here's the thing. Fascism is hard to define because mm. it was supposed to be hard to define. Mussolini was the creator of fascism. Okay. And it took from, he had been a socialist. And so it took certain things like the idea of revolution uh, from the left. But then it was hyper-nationalist. It was hyper-racist. It was imperialist. And those were not things from the left. Those are the right. Yeah. So it took things and it took all these different things and made them into something new. So fascism was new and it was very confusing to people at the time. And, and when it first appeared, people didn't know, well, what is this? Is it right wing, left wing? Who's this Mussolini? And, and Mussolini himself didn't want to define fascism. Mm. And and he also it was full of paradoxes. So one of his um, favorite slogans is that it was a revolution of reaction. And so you start scratching your head. You think, what's a revolution of reaction? But that's actually a very good definition of fascism because it wants to, you know, destroy the, the government, the democracy. It installs itself. It shakes everything up through violence, through corruption. And then it it cracks down on any form of emancipation. Mm. So it takes this revolution from the left, but it, it suppresses and represses worker workers' rights, mm. uh, feminist rights, the rights of non-whites. So it, it kind of, that's the reaction part. And mm. that's why all the fascist movements had the support of big finance and and religious institutions who didn't like emancipation, didn't like progress, social progress. Yeah. Okay. So that's like, there is no one definition. Yeah. But that's the essence of it, this kind of revolution of reaction business. Yeah. So, so in your opinion, because I, uh, you know, I, we, we connected on Twitter and, or I found you through Twitter. Like, do you think the word gets thrown around too much? Are you sometimes just scrolling through and you're like, oh, here we go, calling everything fascist again. Or yeah, like what, or is there anything like we should be mindful of when talking about fascism? So we kind of narrow down the definition. Yeah, so I, I'm one of the few people who didn't call Trump a fascist while he was in office. And the reason I didn't do that, even though the whole point of the points of strongman is to show how Trump connects to this whole century of yeah. fascism and then other right wing, you know, people like Pinochet. But so he used this thing. He does some of the same things as fascists. But I didn't want to call him a fascist because I felt like fascism was a dictatorship. It was mm. an old school dictatorship. And one of the points of fascism was to invade other countries. So there are certain things that uh, do not compute. They don't, it doesn't, it's not how it works today. Mm -hmm. And I felt like if I called it fascism right. and people expected this crackdown because, you know, one party state, anybody, I would be in jail or in exile. No, we wouldn't be able to talk. Yeah. It's, it, it's a total crackdown. And so I felt like people would say, well, why are you calling it fascism? We're not seeing this crackdown. So nothing's happening. Mm. And now I'm, 
I'm speaking more like the things that are going on with militias and January 6th, they are what fascism looks like today in our time and place. Mm. But I still am cautious about calling it fascism because it really gives the wrong idea. And then people, paradoxically, maybe people are not going to be, it's a struggle to get Americans to realize the extent of the danger because mm-hmm. today it's evolution. It's not one crackdown like the Reichstag fire. Yeah. And so that's why I'm not really calling it, yes, fascism is coming because it's not going to look like it did a hundred years ago. Mm, got it. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And it's something, you know, I, I've been just interested in just all sorts of aspects. Like my background's in mental health. So when I see like overusage of like depression, anxiety, OCD and stuff like that, I'm like, all right, well, let's not confuse yeah. people. You know what I mean? Because then we might miss the real things going on. Um, but, you know, through, throughout the book, you you break it down just amazingly and explain kind of how they rise to power. And, you know, a minute ago, we were talking about the importance of history and seeing patterns. And, you know, you wrote about this when Trump first came in. And again, I'm, I'm fascinated with human behavior. So like, it's 2021, we have access to all the information we could ever need. How, how does this kind of stuff still happen? Like, do you see this as a, like a systemic issue? You know, there was a lot of theories around how, around how like Trump got elected or what's going on in, you know, in other countries and, you know, and all that. So like, are, are there certain things happening in the culture that can help the rise of this type of leader? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. So what I find uh, happens over and over again is at moments in a culture in a society when there's been a lot of social progress Mm. um, could be racial emancipation, could be workers' rights, could be gender emancipation, could be, look what happened under Obama. We were were ripe for somebody like Trump because there were so many people who thought Obama should never have been president, racist, right? We had legalization of same-sex marriage and homosexuality is a recurrent thing over a hundred years. Um, we had, um, you know, trans individuals were able to be in the military. All of these uh, signs of social progress and democracy that overjoyed some people, but left many other people thinking this was the end, this was the apocalypse mm-hmm. and America was changing too much. And when you have that kind of substantial change, it's almost like here, that's the revolution and here comes the reaction. Mm-hmm. That is when these people uh, who come up in the culture, sometimes they come, they, it, it's ripe for a military coup. But yeah. whatever, however it comes, elections, coups, et cetera, that's when um, people want a savior. They want a man, a strong man to say, yeah. I'm going to fix it all. Um, I, I know you've been, you're losing everything you care about. This is what Trump did. He was very, very smart at addressing people who felt their privileges, their white privilege, their class mm-hmm. privilege. Um, and that's what these guys have done over a hundred years. Mm. Yeah, no, that that definitely makes sense. A lot of progress. And, you know, uh, one book that, you know, kept getting recommended to me was, I'm, I'm not sure if you read it, it's called Strangers in Their Own Land. And she like goes yes. down, yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, basically just recognizing that they felt like they're getting moved back in the line and other people are getting ahead and stuff like that. And that kind of clicked for me, you know, in that sense. Um, 
But going back to like, you know, the idea of like fascism and you also hear like authoritarianism and all that right now. And, you know, we've been in the pandemic for over a year now, right now with the rise of the Delta variant, there's so many debates in different cities and states are doing different things, you know, on a national level, we're talking about like vaccine passports and, you know, uh, should businesses be doing this and, you know, uh, for example, like I, I remember, you know, hearing Joe Rogan a few weeks ago, he was going on this rant about how vaccine passports are like a step towards authoritarianism. And I'm like, I can't wait for Ruth to come on my podcast because that's what you hear, right? Like, like my son's in school and there's a huge debate around like forcing kids to wear masks and all these other things. And uh, they, they use a slippery slope argument, like they're going to control everything. So as somebody who is an expert in this stuff, can you kind of break that down and I guess separate why it isn't if you don't think it is, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's very tragic when I, I'm always looking at our present as though we're already a few years ahead, as though it were history. And yeah. it's just very tragic that uh, so many people have been uh, fallen um, under the spell of disinformation and these right-wing talking points that try and manipulate them, thinking that um, helping people to get sick is freedom. Mm-hmm. And so what the right's done, and this is a very broad thing, they've, they've styled themselves as the supporters of freedom. In fact, January 6th was a freedom thing. It was rescuing their leader. It was, you know, they were patriots. Mm-hmm. And anything that, um, that um, uh, jeopardizes Americans' rights to own guns, like Biden's going to come yeah. for your guns, Biden's going to come for your hamburgers. And now this talking point, which is, by the way, the global right, everywhere in the world, there's this talking point that liberal democracy is like a dictatorship, that Mm. they tell you what to do. And this is a massive projection because the people who use this talking point are like Putin and Orban, who are actually taking people's rights away. And so it's like a big deflection. And when people are saying, oh, you know, having to wear masks is like Nazi Germany. It's distracting them from the fact that the GOP is supporting actual Nazis now. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's how it's it's a very large scale um, global um, disinformation campaign, and it's had these very tragic results. Um, and it's also uh, a profound, uh, you know, especially American anti-intellectualism, anti-science. Yeah, And the churches have allied with this. Um, mm. And so people, the religious right, not just evangelicals, but huge non-denominational churches, they don't want to have masks either. It's God's will. So you have mm-hmm. all these vectors coming in to create this extremely tragic, misguided notion of what freedom is. Yeah, And, and you know, so many people and kids are getting sick because of it. Right. I have yeah. colleagues who are, it's back to school time and universities who, mm. you know, they, they're, they're having to resign or they're getting fired because they don't want to teach. Uh, uh, they're in states with public universities and Republican states, and they're not allowed to ask the students to wear masks and they're all getting sick already. Yeah. Yeah, just just this morning, I saw about this, uh, this walkout in Florida of, of doctors, like, doctors yeah. got together and walked out they're like hey 
like get vaccinated. We need to do this. And it is something that I've kind of noticed more and more often lately, um, even though it's been happening for a while, is right, right talking points are like just using words and just having no definition for them, right? Like they'll call, you know, certain pundits will call everything socialist or just throw out That's the word. Sad. Yeah, critical race theory or whatever. I'm like, I'm like, do these words have any meaning anymore? And no, a, they're yeah. emotionally the 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 right has been much better than um, Democrats in knowing how to use language to scare people. And so yeah. they, if you notice what they do, and Trump was a master propagandist, you repeat mm -hmm. over and over certain trigger words that get people like Biden. And, and you make these associations in their mind, Biden, socialist, Biden, Marxist, um, masks, tyranny, yeah. masks, suppression. And, and then you flood, you know, the media with, uh, you know, all of this. Thing. And Trump did this very, very effectively uh, on other issues during his campaign mm -hmm. um, and used Facebook. Facebook was his partner. So this is they know the emotional appeal of certain words yeah. um, and democrats don't have that kind of unified messaging and they're also not trying to uh frighten and anger people they yeah haven't. so the two the two parties have incompatible messaging um uh, cultures let's say yeah yeah that's that's definitely something i i i know what you mean and it's it's really weird and then sometimes at some points i'm just like like is it you know uh that taking the high ground by not doing it and what's that you know <laughs> you got to kind of weigh that and all that but but yeah i i have a little bit more of your time ruth and i guess like what one of my main questions i wanted to ask too was you know like uh in november <laughs> in november i had this huge sigh of relief biden got elected after days of doing this and then all the election fraud and all that right but january 20th even more relief. I like, okay, somebody else is in office. What we're good. Yeah. Right. And, but there's still, there's still issues. So as I'm reading your book, I'm like, now that Trump's out of office, is this still a problem? But I think a great example, I actually saved, uh, uh, this tweet last week and I don't hear anybody talking about it anymore, but there was a dude threatening to blow up the Capitol yeah. library. Right. But Mo Brooks came out and he had that statement and you replied to it. And, you know, and Mo Brooks, he, he's not the president. He's just like a member of Congress. So, like, I don't know, like, is this something that we should still be worried about when we see people like Mo Brooks saying that and like kind of downplaying like what happened? Uh, you have people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's on the rise and being everywhere. How much do we have to worry about it now that Trump's out of office? Oh, ju just as much, if not more than oh, when he no. was there. Because what they're doing is, um, they will not stop. Trump will not stop until he's reinstated, mm. whatever way that's going to happen. And um, what there's all kinds of signs. Look at the number, the numerous calls for violence. Um, how many GOP officials are actually like Matt Gates, who's talking about the Second Amendment is not for hunting, but to rebel against the government if necessary. Mm. Um, lots of, I just did an essay in my uh, newsletter, Lucid, about uh, recruiting and extremism in the military. Because what we, what we forget is like, for example, in Chile in 1973, there was uh, a coup and it was US backed. And so people tend to think, oh yeah, the CIA did it. But, um, 
Chile was, there were so many other crews in, in Latin America and Chile was a place where the army was a hundred percent supposed to be dedicated to democracy and the mm. constitution. And so they had to uh, recruit with, through extremists and their rapes for three years. It was, and they had CIA help, mm-hmm. uh, other American help. But I see these kind of, uh, all these voices of civilian, military, GOP officials, all kinds of militia, all coming together to uh, try and destabilize Biden, you know, administration. And Trump is now actively at rallies, uh, you know, yeah. riling people up for violence. This is very, very dangerous yeah. because Trump wants to destabilize America. He wants violence to happen. Yeah. And and then they can say, you see, Biden, this America's a chaos. Uh, Socialists yeah. are taking over. That's what Mo Brooks is about. He, the socialists are going to take over. And then you can justify an authoritarian crackdown. You can yeah. justify stealing an election. Wow. So that's yeah. I'm very worried about that. Yeah. So hmm. so to. Just two quick questions, because here's here's where I'm confused a little bit. One of the highlights of Trump's rally, where he was just this weekend, was saying, like, I got vaccinated and, you know, people started booing him or saying that, you know. And so with with strongmen, like how and, and we don't we might not even have a definitive answer on this. But why do you think that is? Because this leader type comes out fun he's changed his views or even tries to not completely back that or you see on fox news where people people like tucker we know they're vaccinated but they're not saying it right so like how how does that kind of dissonance happen or do you have a theory around that like why did people boo trump instead of just following him in that direction too you know what i mean because yeah it's like the frankenstein thing he has created this monster Mm. and they have their dogma and their dogma which is part of his personality cult is that he is their leader and the dogma is that they, you remember he ripped off his mask and when he came back from the hospital yeah. and they only, they are too far gone now um, to, he would have to, he could do it actually. And it's very sad to me that Tucker Carlson could also, they could have, uh, they could really influence the course of the pandemic in the United States. Mm-hmm. They have that power if they change their tune, but Trump would have to do it as, with as much tenacity and, uh, and dedication to changing the message as he did to disinformation. Mm, yeah. If he did that, people would slowly, because uh, they, they worship him. Yeah. And the same with Tucker. If Tucker, Tucker could be such a force for good, mm-hmm. instead he's a force for death. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really sad. But once people get into this world of conspiracy theories and dogma, it's very hard to get them out mm-hmm. and they, they don't want to hear anything, even from Trump. Um, Mo Brooks also started saying uh, at the, the same Alabama rally, he, he said, oh, you know, he was trying to get people to just accept that Trump had lost this election and vote for 2022 and 2024. Yeah. And he got booed as well. Because mm. they're too far gone to hear anything else right now. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, so last question to end this on a light note: Where, where's the hope, Ruth? I know there's an optimist in there. What can we do? If somebody's listening, and like, hey, Ruth scared the crap out of me. What can I? <laughs> what can I do? What What are some solutions that 
we should be looking at? So the book has a chapter on resistance mm-hmm. and, and the book last chapter is how they fall yeah. because all of them fall sooner or later. And I really, the resistance chapter is very important um, because nonviolent mass protest, as we saw with Black Lives Matter in the summer, uh, which was the largest social mobilization movement in U.S. history during mm-hmm. the pandemic. And that was essential to voting him out. So the optimist thing is also that mass protest works and also that we did something very unusual. Um, we voted out somebody who was in the middle of this capture, <clears throat> autocratic capture process. He was mm-hmm. really in doing everything possible to keep himself in power and the American people voted him out. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. So we can, we have to hold on to that. Now it's really important that everybody uh, work for voter registration, voter mm-hmm. mobilization, because we have to overcome voter suppression efforts. Yeah. But the, our recent past shows that we have the ability to do that. Yeah. Okay, cool. You, you, you left me in a good mood, Ruth. I appreciate that. Good. So, <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to link, uh, the book down below phenomenal book, but you're, you're writing, you're working on other stuff. I don't know if you're planning on going back to that academic book, but where can people find you and what are you working on these days? Um, so my website, www.ruthbengiat.com has all of my writings, that you'll also find there uh, a, a link to sign up for my newsletter called Lucid, which is where I'm doing a lot of my writing these days. Mm. Um, and some of my tweets become, I'm at Ruth ben become essays or, or op-eds in CNN. I'm also on TV, various places, and you'll find the clips there on my website. And I've got a couple of ideas for books uh, about fascism and democracy, but mm. um, uh, still in the uh, ideas phase. Beautiful. Well, when, when you get the rough draft, I'm more than happy to be a beta reader, Ruth. I love this book. So yeah, thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ruth. She is such a great, knowledgeable woman. I I had such a great time talking with her. This episode was a little bit shorter than some of the others, but I learned so much just in that brief period of time. And and for those of you who have been following the podcast, you've been listening for a while, these are some of my favorite conversations where I'm able to talk with authors and fill in different gaps of my knowledge and everything like that. So it was, it was really great speaking with her and her book was absolutely amazing. I learned a lot um, about, you know, historical, you know, figures and things like that and how, you know, these people rise to power and everything because history is not something I typically read about in the hundreds of books that I I try to read. So a huge, huge thanks to Ruth for coming on. Make sure you head down to the description. Make sure you are following Ruth over on Twitter. And as I said, the paperback edition of Strongman just came out. So I will link that down in the description as well. All right. But yeah, if you're new here, make sure you are following me over on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul. And make sure you're following and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, I'm always, always uploading episodes. I've been going five, six, sometimes seven days a week because I chat with so many authors. I don't think I'll have any episodes for you this weekend. I'm going to be taking a little break, but I do have next week completely mapped out. We have five episodes next week. Next week, a ton, a ton of books are coming out. So we'll be talking with uh, uh, various authors. And and next week, I actually have my very 
first author as a guest who wrote a fiction book. All right. So that'll be great. I had a wonderful conversation with her. So yeah, make sure you're following the podcast. Make sure you're subscribed. And if you want to support the podcast in a way that doesn't cost you a penny, share these episodes. If you enjoyed this conversation with Ruth, like I said, like I, I'm always wondering, like, is this an issue? Are there things that we have to worry about? Like, is this overblown and everything like that? And and yeah, like, like you've heard Ruth say, like, this is an issue. So make sure you share this episode. It's a great way to support the podcast. It helps spread the word and the algorithms really dig that. All right. But some other ways you could support the podcast, uh, you could head over to the rewiredsoul.com. I have a link down below. I have self-published some books on, you know, addiction recovery, mental health and stuff like that. So head over to the rewiredsoul.com and another way to support the podcast is there is an affiliate link down below for better help online therapy. Mental health is a huge, huge part of my life. So if you've been looking for a therapist, if you think that you can benefit from therapy as well, better help online therapy, it is a service that I've personally used. So, you know, you're able to do it from the comfort of your own home. You work with a licensed therapist. And one of my favorite features about better help is if you don't like a therapist, you don't have to have any weird, awkward conversation, you know, like one of those breakup things, you just hit a button, boom. You got a new therapist. All right. So check out that affiliate link for better help on my therapy down below. All right. So another huge, huge thanks to Ruth for taking the time to come on. Make sure you head down to the description, you follow her and grab a copy of the book. And for, yeah, for the rest of you, have an amazing rest of your day. Have a great weekend and stay tuned because next week we have some great episodes. So I will see you then.